Exodus chapter 26. Exodus 26, 36, and 37. Exodus chapter 26, verses 36 and 37. And then 31 through 33. Exodus 26, 36 and 37. And Exodus 26, 31 through 33. Are you there? All right, praise the Lord. Okay, 36 and 37. Exodus 26. Thou shalt make an hanging for the door of the tents of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen wrought with needlework. And thou shalt make for the hanging five pillars of shittim woods and overlay them with gold and their hooks shall be of gold. And thou shalt cast five sockets of brass for them. Verse 31. Thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen of cunning work, with cherubim shall it be made. Thou shalt hang it upon four pillars of shittim wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. Thou shalt hang up the veil under the tatchets that thou mayest bring in thither within the veil, the ark of the testimony, and the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place, and the most holy. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We ask for inspiration, anointing tonight. Thank you, God, for your supernatural power and strength. Give us understanding and revelation and illumination concerning your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The title of the message tonight is Christ... The true door and veil. Christ, the, the true door and veil. Okay, get you some pictures going here so you'll see what we're looking at, what we're studying tonight. First of all, we can look at the door of the tabernacle itself, the door of the tent, and then from there we will look at the veil that is right before the Holy of Holies. Okay? Can you see the pictures all right? <clears throat> okay, we'll start with the door of the tabernacle. You see it here hanging. This is not a real good picture, but uh, this is the door. In the book of Hebrews, it's alluded to being the first veil. So we have the first veil here, and then Hebrews 9 verse 3 says that the, the veil that separates the holy place and the holy of holies, which is this one here, is called the second veil. So you have two veils, but for the sake of understanding, this will be the door, the entrance into the tabernacle itself, and then the veil is the one that separates the holy place from the Holy of Holies. You'll see this door here is hanging on five pillars. Uh, 
and then the veil will hang on uh, four pillars, and we'll try to break that down for you. Okay, over here is another picture of it. Thou shalt make for the screen five pillars of shadow wood covered with gold. Okay, back up to the other one. Previous, yeah, there we go, okay. All right, so anyway, that's a picture of the screen. You shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent. So we're talking about the actual door into the tent itself. Okay? It's called a screen here for the entrance of the tent of turquoise or blue, wool and purple wool and scarlet wool and twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer. All right, next one, please. No, forward. There you go. Okay. Now, this particular uh, door into the tabernacle, you see it over here? Okay, you'll see this one has five pillars. I lost my... Okay, five pillars. you see that? There's one there. Two, three, four, five. Okay, you probably see a little better there. Okay, five pillars on this one. One, two, three, four, five. And they have caps and they're on um, brass sockets. Okay? That's going to be the first thing that we talk about. So go back to the Word of the Lord. In Exodus 26, and I'll read the Scripture to you once again. Exodus 26 and verse 36 Thou shalt make a hanging for the door of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen wrought with needlework. Okay? So here we have the description of the door of the tabernacle. Now, it is made out of the same material. It's made out of fine linen that the veil is made out of and also the roof of the tabernacle, the first covering. We talked about that. It's made out of the same material uh, fine linen. And the fine linen, once again, has those major colors in it. It's got the white linen. It's got the purple. It's got the blue. It's got the scarlet. We covered all of that. Explained that to you. We'll go over it with you again. The scarlet represents Jesus, the Son of Man, who has come to die for us on the cross. The blue represents Jesus as the Son of God, the Lord from heaven. The purple represents Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now remember, the purple has the scarlet and the blue. The scarlet and the blue is what makes up the purple color. Okay? So if you have scarlet, Son of Man, you have blue, Son of God, then purple speaks of His dual nature. That He is Son of Man and Son of God, or man and God at the same time. So those two colors, scarlet and blue, make up the color purple. So we have, again, the manifestation of Jesus as man and God also speaks of His royalty. Now, fine linen is white. That speaks of the holiness of the Lord in His earthly walk. But we've covered that before, so y'all are very familiar with these things. Okay? Now, just to make reference to the actual linen itself, the fabric itself is made out of flax. Flax. Say with me, flax. Okay? Which is a plant. It's derived from a plant. You remember in the Old Testament 
when the two spies went into Jericho, and uh, of course the city was going to be destroyed by God, it's going to collapse, etc. The two spies went into Jericho to spy it out. And there was a woman in the city named Rahab, who later would become a part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now Rahab was a harlot. Rahab took those two spies and they uh, she hid them in flax. You remember that? Okay. Same material that this is made out of and that the veil is made out of. She hid them in flax, or you could say what would become fine linen, which speaks of righteousness. Now those two spies had been saved by the power of the blood in the Exodus. The power of the blood saved by the blood and saved by the power of God as they went through the Red Sea. God demonstrated His power when they went through the Red Sea. So they're saved by blood on the door. They're saved by power through the Red Sea. You with me? Those same spies are hid in flax by Rahab the harlot. So now we see them covered in the righteousness of God. So saved by blood, blood on the door, saved by power, the Red Sea, and now we see they're covered in flax. That means they're covered in the righteousness of God. They took Rahab, they put her behind the blood. They hung a scarlet cord out for her. They hid her behind the blood. And the Bible tells us when Jericho collapsed and when it was destroyed, that Rahab's house did not collapse that she was saved because she was behind the blood. Okay? And Rahab was taken into the camp of Israel. She married an Israelite, and she ended up being in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So that's just a little thought that you might want to know about the uh, linen. Praise God. Now, we've already talked about the colors, etc. The Bible tells us that it was going to be hung on. Five pillars. Okay, say five pillars. Now these pillars are shadow wood. Yeah, go ahead. Alright, shadow wood overlaid with gold. So once again, this speaks of the dual nature of Jesus Christ. The shadow wood speaks of His humanity and the gold speaks of His deity. Notice though here, the Bible says they're standing in brass sockets. One, two, three, four five brass sockets. Let's go to Revelation 1 and 15. So those five pillars are upholding that screen. Of course, Jesus said that He's the door. Okay, Revelation 1, 15. The Scripture says we see a picture of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. tells us that His feet are likened to fine brass as if they burned in a furnace and His voice as the sound of many waters. So when you see Jesus in the book of Revelation, the Bible says His feet look like brass or look like bronze as if it burned in a furnace. Now, these sockets of brass... Single sockets of brass for each pillar. So five sockets of brass. These were also seen 
in the gate of the outer enclosure. Do you all remember that? Those four pillars at the gate of the outer enclosure, they were sitting in sockets of brass. And all those pillars around the outer enclosure were setting on sockets of brass. The tabernacle is setting on sockets of silver. But notice, we don't have sockets of silver here. Sockets of silver here on the, for the tabernacle, but sockets of brass for these five pillars for the gate. This brass, as I said, is also seen around the outer enclosure. All of those pillars that were in the outer enclosure were setting on sockets of copper as well, along with the gate. What this is saying is, Jesus is depicted here by the pillar. He is standing in His work of salvation for us. He shed His blood for us. Because remember, this brass speaks of judgment. Judgment upon sin. So He is standing in the book of Revelation. The Bible says His feet look like brass. So what we have is, we have a connection with the gate, the outer enclosure, on sockets of brass. We have these five pillars on sockets of brass. So what we have at the beginning as we come through the gate, those sockets of brass, now we come to a completion or a fulfillment of it with Jesus standing there as a pillar. He is the door, but what allows us to get into His presence is His finished work, His death, burial, and resurrection. Okay? you understand that? So Revelation 1 says He's standing and His feet look like brass. So He's standing in His finished work. What He did for us to allow us to get into His presence. Now, what you need to understand is everything I just said, but especially this right here. When we looked at the outer enclosure and, and they walked up to the gate, all Israelites, when they started on the outside of the outer enclosure, they represented the sinner as they approached God. So every Israelite would make their way to the gate of that outer enclosure. I'm not talking about this one. I'm not talking about the door of the tabernacle. I'm talking about the gate of the outer enclosure. Every Israelite would come to that gate and they could bring their sacrifices, etc. Offer sacrifice, a sin offering, burn offering, free will offerings, etc. Every Israelite could go to that altar in the outer enclosure. Okay? But every Israelite could not go into this tabernacle. You see that? Okay. The outer gate, every Israelite could go to that altar. Everybody. So it was a wide gate. It's 20 cubits wide. That means 30 feet wide. 5 cubits high. About 7.5 feet high. Did you catch that? 20 cubits by 5. So it's a broad gate that allows the Israelite, the individual Israelite, to walk through to bring his sacrifice to God. When you get to this door of the tabernacle, it is half the width. Okay? You with me so far? Half the width and twice the height. If the gate of the outer enclosure is 20 cubits, this gate here, or this door into the tabernacle, is 10 by 10. Do you understand that? Let me say it again. The size of this gate, the size of this door, the size of this curtain, 
The size of this screen is 10 cubits by 10 cubits square. So if the gate in the other enclosure is 20 cubits by 5, then you have here 10 cubits by 10. You have half the width, twice the height. You with me? You got to turn on your minds when, when we're talking about the tabernacle. I got to think about what we're saying, all right? And the reason why that is, is because this is very narrow. The gate in the outer enclosure, 20 cubits wide. This one's 10 cubits wide. So it's narrower. So every Israelite can make their way through that outer enclosure and bring their sacrifices to the Lord. But only the priest can go into this tabernacle. No Israelite that is not a priest could walk into that tabernacle. Only priests could. So it's a very, it's a narrow door in comparison to the gate of the outer enclosure. And it's twice as high. And it's only for the Levitical priesthood. Now what that is telling you is this, is that as the sinner makes their approach to God and they come to the outer enclosure, the gate, it's broad, it's, it's wide, okay? They can make their way through, every individual. And everybody is, is invited to come to the altar. Everybody is invited to come to the foot of the cross and have their sins forgiven, okay? But not everybody is allowed to go into the tabernacle, only the priests are. So once a person comes to the altar, brings their sacrifice, the blood atonement, there's progression here. To become a priest, you have to wash at the laver. And we talked about the laver. They pitched a tabernacle, they washed the priest from head to toe with water. That's a picture of baptism. And then every day afterwards, they had to wash their hands and feet. That's a picture of the Word of God. Alright, you with me so far? Then, when you progressively move, you go inside this tabernacle. It's predominantly the number 50. We had the 50 tatchets uh, over the top of the covering, remember? This speaks of coming to the presence of God, beginning to pray and worship God, and receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost beginning to speak with other tongues. So you've been to the altar of repentance. You've been to the labor for cleansing. Now you go into the tabernacle. You begin to pray and worship God. And as you do, you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Then you become a priest unto God. You're not just a natural individual. See, in the Old Testament, only those that were of the tribe of Levi could be a priest of God. Okay? And the high priest came from Aaron's family. Now I want you to think about that. What a privilege it is in the New Testament to understand that you are kings and priests unto God after the order of a Melchizedek priesthood. Okay? Say, I'm a priest. Say again, I'm a king priest. What a blessing and what a privilege it is for you and I to understand that everybody that's a born-again believer of the water and the Spirit tonight in this church are priests unto God. But only the priest could go into that tabernacle and minister at that tabernacle. Now, here's what you need to see. There are a lot of people that may come to our church. They may make their way to an altar. They may repent of their sins. Okay? 
But until they are born again of the water and the Spirit, there are many things that they will not be able to experience. They're not going to be be able to experience the blessings that come with being in God's church. So you have to. You are you with me here? Hmm, Wow. Some people think, well, just because they came to church, that they can do everything that the church is doing, that they can receive all the blessings that the church is receiving. You know, just because they came to church, they think they can take the Lord's supper. There are certain things that are reserved for only the church and people who are really born again in the church for those people to experience and to invite somebody, come on, are you here with me, who is not yet a priest, who is not yet born again to the water and the Spirit, to invite them to do certain things that are reserved only for the church is absolute total heresy. That's Now, you know I'm always going to find something. But that's why we've got such a mess, maybe not here, but in the church of America. Because we got people that, that are not born again teaching Sunday school. We got people that are not even born again of the water and the spirit getting up and singing in the choir. We got some men standing behind the pulpit preaching and they're not born again themselves. But they are participating in things that are reserved only for people who are in the priesthood. And it's heretical. It's heresy. Are y'all with me here today? Now God wants you to come on in. Whosoever will, let him come. He wants you to go to the altar of repentance. He wants you to go to the labor of cleansing. He wants you to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's for whosoever will. He wants everybody to receive the blessings, okay, that come with being in the church. But until you do, We cannot allow you to participate in things that are only reserved for the function of the church or for people that are in that priestly type ministry. Do you understand that? And so, uh, just think about this situation, how much chaos we would have as a church if I let everybody that walked through the front door that had talent on a piano or singing ability stand up here and play the piano or sing. Okay? Maybe they've repented of their sin, but never been born again of the water and the Spirit. You talk about total chaos and confusion. Say, hey, i got a talent. Can I sing tonight? No. Are you a priest? If you're not a priest, you cannot participate in those ministries of the church. And not only that, but you're not going to receive the blessings that come with being in the priesthood of God. Everybody wants to be in the priesthood of God. You can't be anointed. You can't be used in the gifts of the Spirit until you get the Holy Ghost. Until you're born of the Spirit. So there's blessings that come with being in God's kingdom, being born again of the water and Spirit. When you get filled with God's Spirit, you're going to start operating in the gifts of the Spirit. God's going to use you in certain ministry aspects because you're a part of the priesthood. But until you experience that, it's off limits for you. You understand that? At least it is here. It's not everywhere. But like I say, they got singers singing. They haven't met God. They wouldn't know God if they met Him in Walmart. They've never met God. They don't know God. They're unregenerate. And they're getting up singing or they're getting up teaching. They're getting up preaching. is because you have leadership that doesn't understand the Bible. You have pastors that don't understand the Bible. 
So the only people that could go into that tabernacle was the priest. No Israelite of the congregation could go into that tabernacle. They could go through that gate, but not through that narrow, narrow door. That was reserved for the priest only. So if you're a born-again Christian tonight of the water and the Spirit, you've been to the altar of repentance, to the labor for cleansing, and you've been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues, you are now a priest unto God, and you can be used by God in the gifts of the Spirit and participate in all the blessings of God that come on His church. Amen. Say praise the Lord. So the priest could go in here, the tribe of Levi, and then when we get beyond the veil of the Holy of Holies, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And that was only once a year. The Levitical priest could not go in the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could go there. So as you progressively move toward God, it becomes more restrictive. Now I know you don't like to hear that because you've got a liberal brain. But the closer you start moving toward God, the more restrictive it becomes. You understand? It doesn't open up large, 20 cubits wide at the veil. You understand that? It starts out there in the outer court, 20 cubits. Then it goes here, 10 cubits. Then it goes there, 10 cubits. The veil. 10 cubits for the door, 10 cubits for the veil. 10 by 10, both of them. But when you get to that veil, the priests have to stand out and look at the veil only. They can't walk behind that veil of the veil. They can go through that door, but they can't go through the veil. Only the high priest can go through that veil. And that's only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And he is surrounded and covered by, by incense that's being offered up to God when he goes in there. He's going in there with blood. He's going in there in a, in a cloud of incense. And he's got all kinds of garments of, of glory and beauty. When he walks in there, and he's the only one that can go in there. Say praise the Lord tonight. Okay, so it's a very limited, it's a very restricted area. It's for priest only. Look at your neighbor and say, for priest only. You start moving in the presence of God, it's for priest. It's for priest. You start ministering in the things of God, it's for priests. Amen? Baptism of the Holy Ghost, water baptism in Jesus' name, puts you in that priesthood. Now, you can come to church and you can pray and be... Listen, hold on. Hold on a minute. Now you can come to church and pray and be authentic. Did you hear what I said? A lot of people come to church and they pray. Okay? Or they worship and they're not priests. So in one sense, they're doing it ignorantly, but in one sense, they're offering strange fire to God. You hear what I'm telling you? Because this altar right here speaks of prayer. And we got, got people come to church, they're not born again, but they'll pray, and they'll lift up their hands, and they'll so-called worship God. Strange fire. Because only true priests can offer incense. Only true priests can offer worship unto God. Are you here? So anything else that's going on, well, what are you saying, Pastor? What I'm telling you tonight, until you get to that altar and that labor and you get filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, when you come to church, I know, 
I know you want to look like you fit. I know you want to be comfortable. But your prayer and your worship is not authentic. Make it authentic. Come on. Make it authentic. Become a priest in God so your prayer can be heard by God. So your worship can be received by God through His blood. It's a very restricted area right here for priests only. Say hallelujah to the Lamb. So the Bible says it's upheld by these five pillars standing in brass. Okay? So we have the completion of the judgment of God, Jesus standing in His finished work. These are crowns. Say crowns. Say five pillars. Shot in wood overlaid with gold. His deity and His humanity. Gold on the top. The crowns as well. There's a bar that goes across the top. And we have these little hooks like, like a letter valve that's holding up that curtain. Right there. You see that? Okay. Say amen. Alright, let's go to Isaiah 9. What do those five pillars represent? Say five. Well, five is the number of grace. And it's also New Testament ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. You see that? Okay. In reference to Jesus, Isaiah 9 and 6. Praise the Lord. I'm going to say this to you right now. Have you ever wondered, have you ever watched people? You know, they'll go along, they'll be alright for a little while, you know. They'll be praying, they'll, you know, they'll worship for a little while, you know, maybe bring their tithes and offerings for a little while, and all of a sudden they fizzle out. You ever wonder why they fizzle out? Because they weren't true priests. They were just going through the motions. And then something came in their life, it didn't go their way, and now they fizzle completely out. The reason why they fizzled is because all that they were doing was just religious anyway. I want you to think about that. Okay, let's go to Isaiah 9 and 6. Jesus Christ. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called what? Wonderful. Wonderful. Counselor. Look up here, and I know you already read it. Y'all are fast readers. Y'all are speed readers. I know you're taking the sped reading course. How many of y'all are taking the sped reading course? All right. I haven't taken it. But I know you already finished reading it. All right, let's look at it. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. He's God come in the flesh. Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So there's Isaiah 9 and 6 standing right there before you. Okay? These crowns speak of their gold. Gold crowns speak of His sovereign grace that is upon us because of His finished work that He's standing in. Praise God. So He's the door that allows you to go into His presence. Now, what was going on right in front of that veil? Sacrifices, blood sacrifices taking place. Open, opening the way into that tabernacle. He's the true, true door into the presence of God. Say amen. amen. You see that so far? Alright. Now, this, let's see, brother's got it over here. 
Maybe a little better picture for you. When we get to the veil, we'll, we'll see a little bit better way they attached it, but at the top right here, these one, two, three, four, five on the door, there are these gold hooks, letter Vov, speaks of Jesus Christ and His deity, of course, because they're gold, but He's the hook that connects us back to God. So the letter Vov speaks of the hook, or Jesus coming and reconnecting us back to God. It's upheld. Can you see that? Oh, we're over here on the veil now, I think. But anyway, held up the same way. Kind of like a curtain rod you got at your house. It's up holding your curtains, you know, and you got these little hooks and you put your rod in there. You know, similar, similar type arrangement. Now, so we look at this right here, this rod going across. We've got these hooks holding it, the curtain, and there goes, so they speak of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? Say amen. Okay, let's go over to the veil. Let's study the veil. <clears throat> Exodus. Now the veil is going to be made out of the same thing as the door was. The difference is... <clears throat> It's real technical, but the door itself, the Bible says, um, it was made with needlework. And the veil was uh, embroidered. It had the embroidered cherubim within it. So it's very similar. The colors are very similar, except the way it was made. Door needlework, the veil embroidered. Cunning work with cherubims on it. I don't think... Now I know that picture showed the door having um, a cherubim on it, I'm not sure about that because the Bible doesn't say that the door had cherubim on it. But I know the veil had cherubim on them. Okay, so there's a little bit of difference here. All right, let's read here Exodus 26, verse 31. And thou shalt make a veil, here we go, blue, the Lord from heaven, purple, King of kings, Lord of lords, scarlet, Son of man, sacrifice, fine twine linen. There's that flax again. Speaks of his righteousness or holiness. Of cunning work with cherubim shall it be made. You see that? Okay, what is this veil then? What is it a type of? Jesus says he's the door that gives us access into the presence of God. Correct? The door of the tabernacle. But what does the veil speak of? Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. How many of you glad tonight you're a priest? Amen. Hebrews 10, verse 19. You there? Amen. Okay, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, say the holiest, the holiest. by the blood of Jesus. So I know, now notice we're moving from the door itself of the tabernacle. Okay. Now that the tabernacle faced toward the east, so that door is facing toward the east, the sunrise. We're moving to the veil now. Okay, let me get over here and get some pictures for you. Okay, there it is. 
There's the veil. Now, you had the holy place with the door we've already talked about. That holy place was 20 cubits long, 10 cubits high, for a total of 2,000 cubits. It's a picture of the church age. So we talked about the priests going into that holy place, ministering in the holy place, 2,000 total cubits, picture of the church age. It's what you're doing right now. Okay? Praise the Lord. The Levites could work in the holy place. They could look up and see the veil. This veil was a hand's breadth thick, about four inches thick. It's very, very thick. Okay? Um, it was so thick that two teams of oxen pulling in opposite directions with the veil in between them could not rip it. That's how strong the work, okay? The twisting of those uh, threads and cords, etc. in that veil were so strong and so powerful that those oxen could not rip it. Two teams, okay? One pulling this way, one pulling that way. It was four inches thick. That what that's what the rabbinic tradition says. Okay. So the Levitical priests that worked in the holy place, ten by ten by twenty, you understand? Ten wide by twenty long, could look up there and see the veil. But behind the veil there was the most holy place, and it was ten by ten by ten. Ten by ten by ten, that's a thousand. So the Holy of Holies, if the holy place speaks of the church age, ten by twenty by ten, ten high, ten wide, twenty long. If the holy place speaks of the church age, then the most holy place, which is ten high, ten wide, ten long, speaks of the kingdom age. Thousand. Ten by ten by ten. A thousand speaks of the thousand-year reign of Christ, and it speaks of the um, divine fullness of God. Or the fullness... Now, you get the Holy Ghost in the holy place, but when you go beyond the veil or behind the veil into the Holy of Holies, you're experiencing the fullness of God's presence. You're experiencing the fullness of your inheritance. You're experiencing manifest presence of God. The manifest presence of God. Does that make sense? The glory. So behind that veil, that 10 by 10 compartment called the most holy place was where the Shekinah glory was. It's where the presence of God resided. His glory was there. It was His manifest presence there, alright? And He was resident over that Ark of the Covenant. That was His throne room. This veil right here, in the Hebrew, literally means a partition that separates the king from the people. That's what it means. The veil means a partition that separates the king from the people. So in that ten by ten by ten holy of holies, the king is on his throne. Okay? It's a picture of the kingdom age. Ten by ten by ten, a thousand. Uh, it, it pictures the rest of God, the seventh day, etc., etc., the kingdom age. Now, the manifest presence of God. So, you get the Holy Ghost in the uh, holy place, 
you experience the demand fullness of God in the Holy of Holies and the fullness of your inheritance in the Holy of Holies. And then ultimately in the kingdom age where the king is on the earth with his people. Say amen. Okay? Now, but you can still experience the Holy of Holies in the spirit. That's called manifest presence of God. Where you can see His glory. Okay? Praise the Lord. Do you understand that? So the priest could go in and look at that veil, but only the high priest could go behind the veil on the Day of Atonement. you understand that? Once a year. Now what is this veil talking of? Let's go to Hebrews 10. Having therefore, brethren... Boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So now he says you can go into the very holy of holies as a believer. But you have to understand this. There's progression. There's outer court experience. There's holy place experience. There's holy of holies experience. And it's more restricted as you go. So some will say, well, I'm just content to be saved then you are limiting yourself to what you can experience in God. If you want the fullness of God, the fullness of His manifestation, if you want the fullness of His presence, the fullness of your inheritance, if you want the glory of God, the manifest presence of God, the authority of God is going to be located in that dimension called the Holy of Holies. Now we'll get into that. I'm not teaching really the Holy of Holies and I'm teaching the veil. But you cannot be satisfied with being an outer court Christian. Amen? And once you've gone in to the holy place, you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you want to go back out in the outer court and live there for a while? No, you want to operate as a priest in, in the holy place. And you want to move into the holy of holies and experience the glory of God. And it's not limited to the high priest now. You can go in in Christ Jesus who's the great high priest. Are you with me here? Okay. So you are limited as to how far you're going to go. Now I can bring you to this veil right here. But I can't make you walk through it. I can preach to you about the glory of God. I can preach to you about the kingdom of God. I can preach to you about the king. Amen. I can preach to you about the fullness of God. The fullness of your inheritance. But until you walk in there yourself, you'll not experience it. So we want to bring you to these places, the dimensions. These are dimensions in God. I would, when we get into them, when we actually look at the holy place and the holy of holies, it will become clearer to you. Okay, But these are dimensions in God. Outer court, holy place, holy of holies. These are dimensions in God. Does that make sense to you? Seven pieces of furniture, right? The seventh one is in the Holy of Holies. That's where His head is. Okay, I'm, I'm not going there. Man, I'm going to really... Well, if I do that, I'm going I'm to mess up the whole thing, okay? But we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it, I promise you. We'll talk about these dimensions. Seven pieces of furniture speak of seven days. Three... Places, outer court, holy place, holy, 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 speak of dimensions. So that the third dimension is the same thing as the seventh day. Does that make sense? We'll get into that. At least I'll give you that much. 
How many of y'all want all the fullness of God? You want to experience God in His fullness? You want the manifest presence of God, the glory of God? Amen. Okay, let's talk about the veil. That veil separates the holy place from the holy of holies where the ark was located. Now, the ark was never seen by the Israelite. The ark was only seen by Moses and the high priest. You with me? Those people, in Numbers chapter, the Bible talks about the book of Numbers, they covered the ark of the covenant with this veil. So we'll try to go there in a minute. So that the people that covered it were very careful not to look at the ark. The Israelite didn't ever see the ark. The high priest did. Moses did. And I'm not really sure about those that covered it. Doesn't seem like that they would be able to see it. We're talking about some very, very significant things. Okay? Praise the Lord. Now that veil then, when we look at it, that separates the holy place from the holy of holies, what does it speak of? Verse 20. We can go into that holy of holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. So now Hebrews interprets for us what this veil is. That veil is the humanity of Jesus. That veil speaks of His flesh. When you talk about the veil, got the same colors in it. You remember? You're talking about Jesus. This is held up by four pillars instead of five. One, two, three, four. Four Gospels. Upholding Jesus Christ to the world. Okay? Presenting Jesus Christ as God manifest in the flesh. This veil speaks of Jesus being God manifest in the flesh because that veil speaks of the flesh. What does a veil do? In the case of the tabernacle, what was the purpose of the veil? Y'all are sharp. You're ahead of me already. But the veil, number one, was used to separate the holy place where the priest could operate and the most holy place where only the high priest could go into. That veil was placed there to separate. And also, as you said, veil... The book of Revelation, Apocalypse, means an unveiling. It's an unveiling of Jesus Christ. So when you talk about a veil that is in place, you have the purpose of the veil is not only to divide or to separate, but it is to hide what is behind it. Revelation or Apocalypse means to unveil. So now we have a veil. Behind the veil, the glory of God is hid. It's hid. Are you with me here? It's not seen. It's hidden behind the veil. The veil bars you. Does that make sense? I'm not talking about bar drinking bar. I'm talking about it keeps you out. 
The veil then hides the glory of God. It, it says, no further. Stop right here. Don't come any farther. Stop right here. Only the high priest once a year could go behind that veil. Everybody else, the veil says, stop right there. Don't take another step. Don't come behind this veil. That veil speaks of Jesus, God manifest in the flesh, and His flesh veiled or hid the glory of God that was in Him. There was a time I already showed you in Luke chapter 9 when the deity of Jesus began to radiate through His flesh when He was about to be received up into heaven before Calvary. But He set His face to go to Jerusalem to die for you so that you could be saved. So there was a glimpse of His deity that radiated through the veil of His flesh. But that veil, according to Hebrews 10.20, this veil represents His flesh. His humanity veiled His glory. Now, it speaks then of His incarnation. It speaks of God coming in veil form. It speaks of God coming in flesh. Are you with me? His incarnation does not save you. His incarnation dooms you. Does that make sense? What do you mean, Pastor? I'm saying to you that if you're just connected to Jesus based on His coming into the earth as God in the flesh, His veil, this veil says, you are left outside. You know why? Because Jesus, when He came God in the flesh, lived a perfect life. And for anybody to to say that they're saved because of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, they missed it. Because His incarnation was a perfect life and you and I have never lived up to that perfect life. His perfect life keeps me out of the presence of God. Him coming into this world and never sinning in thought, word, or deed keeps me out of God's presence. So just to know Him in His incarnation, just to know that He's God come in the flesh doesn't save me. It bars me from His presence. It keeps me out. It says, don't take another step. Because you're not perfect. Does that make sense? Alright, let's go over here. If it speaks of His flesh then, let me give you some Scripture. Let's go to John 1. You can go to the, to the next picture, brother. <coughs> yeah, just hold it there. It's fine. Okay, John 1.1. 1, 1. What's John 1.1 1, 1 say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So who's the Word? In the beginning the Word was God. What does verse 14 say? Read it to me. And the Word was made flesh. Hold on a minute. The veil speaks of His flesh. The Word was God and the Word was made flesh. There's the veil. And what did it do? 
and it dwelt among us or tabernacled among us. And we beheld His glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. So what we have then in this veil here is we have the Word tabernacling among us. God come in flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16. Y'all get it all together. Read it to me together, alright? 1 Timothy 3.16. Talking about the veil. God come in flesh. Okay. When you get it, 1 Timothy 3.16, who is Jesus? Alright, everybody read it to me. 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of the Trinity. Oh, I'm sorry. You'll hear that. People say, great is the mystery of the Trinity. Nobody can understand it. The Bible never says that. Okay, start over again. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Read aloud. So great. Okay. Without controversy. There's no controversy about this. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. So here it is. Okay? That veil speaks of God coming in flesh, humanity, because the veil is His flesh. But Jesus coming as God in flesh and walking on this earth, a perfect life condemns you. It doesn't save you. Say praise the Lord. Anybody awake tonight? Alright, so what is what happens then? If that flesh then, if that veil speaks of the flesh, and that keeps me out of God's presence, something had to happen to that veil or to that flesh. Two yoke of oxen pulling in opposite directions with the veil in between them could not rip that veil four inches thick. But when Jesus died on the cross, His flesh was rent. Who who was it that put Him to death? God. Go to Isaiah 53. If His perfect sinless life, His incarnation kept you out of the presence of God, that flesh had to be rent. It had to be torn. His humanity had to die. Isaiah 53. Are you there? Look at verse... Um, all 
Okay, verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was smitten of God. The man, Christ Jesus, that flesh, that veil, that humanity of Jesus was smitten by the eternal Spirit of God that was in Him. Do you understand that? You need to understand there's no gold in that veil. Because if you had gold in this veil, you would have an intermingling of deity and humanity. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. Jesus had a dual nature. He was man and God. God didn't die on the cross. His humanity did. The eternal Spirit of God that was in that humanity offered that humanity up as a sacrifice for sin for you and I. And God was the one that smote Him on the cross. God was the one who ripped His flesh. God did it. That's why the Bible says in the Gospels that when Jesus died on the cross and He offered those words up to God, the last words, He said, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. And when He gives those that, that seventh phrase, that seventh statement, that last statement on the cross, when He says, Into thy hands I commend my spirit, the Bible says He gave up the ghost and He died. When He said that, and when he died, God smoked him. God ripped his flesh, figuratively speaking, and also literally. Look at everything he went through. Look at how he's beaten and marred. And God, are y'all with me tonight? God did it. And as soon as he lifted up those voice, that that voice, that word, it says, "Into thy hands I commend my spirit." It is finished. And then into thy hands I commend my spirit. He gave up the ghost. And the Bible says at that very instant that the veil of the temple, listen carefully, was rent from the top to the bottom. Too high for the hands of men to rend it. Too high for the hands of men to tear it. Only the hand of God could rip that veil from the top to the bottom. So when His flesh was ripped... That perfect sinless humanity of Jesus Christ, when it died, when it was rent by God, God took His hand. The same hand that was on His Son. The same hand of God that was smiling His Son. That same hand of God that was on that flesh, Jesus' body, that same hand of God took that veil which is on top of the flesh and He ripped the flesh. At the moment that he died. And when he did, there was a convulsion in creation. Said that not only was this veil rent into by God from the top to the bottom, not from the bottom up, from the top to the bottom, God did it. Not only did that that veil get opened up, But when he died, the Bible says the graves of the righteous opened so that there was a convulsion in creation when he said those last words and died. 
Are y'all with me right now? And the Bible says after his resurrection, they appeared in the holy city. But it was when he died that the graves were open. It was when he died that the veil of the temple was rent. But they appeared. When he rose, they rose. But he opened the graves. He opened the graves before he rose. He opened them when he died. And when he arose, that's when they came out. As the first fruits unto God. So that the old creation had a convulsion at his death. It was not the only thing that was opened at his death. The, the earth opened up. Creation convulsed. You know why? In order for God to be able to bring a new creation into the world. And I'm looking at you right now. He had to die on that cross. His flesh, his veil had to be rent. That flesh had to be rent. That veil had to be rent. To give you access in the presence of God. His incarnation kept you out. But his death gave you access. Into the very presence of God. And I'm looking at a brand new creation right now. Say, say praise the Lord. What you have to understand is that the greatest battle that has ever been fought, it wasn't the Battle of the Bulge, it wasn't Midway, it wasn't Pearl Harbor. That was not the greatest battle that has ever been fought. The greatest battle that was ever fought was by the Lord Jesus Christ. He had to fight His way to the cross. Did you hear what I said? He had to fight His way to the cross. If you could only, you know, did a little study today. Sometimes we get caught up with the outward suffering of Jesus and everything He suffered on the outside of His body. But if you could only imagine the inward gall. He didn't drink the gall and vinegar that man gave Him, but He did drink the gall that God gave Him. The inward torture and pain and suffering and agony that He went through on the inside to redeem you. He had to fight to get to the cross. The devil tried to kill him before he got to the cross. He tried to kill him when he was in the ship. And Jesus stood up on the bow of the ship and said, Be my zealot! He spoke to the devil. He wasn't speaking to the wind. He spoke to the devil like the devil was a dog. He told the devil, Be muzzled. Like you'd muzzle a dog. In that culture, they'd put a muzzle. They'd put a muzzle on the nose of the dog and then after they put the muzzle on the dog, they would speak those words. Be muzzled. Be quiet. Shut up. And the dog would get quiet. And there on the ship, the storms begin to rage. And it was the devil that was trying to kill him before he went to the cross. But he fought his way to the cross. He told the devil, shut up. Be muscled. And when he did, the waves calmed. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the war was on, raging. He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of the Olive Press, where pressure 
takes place upon the olive to produce the oil. He walks into that garden. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, he offered up strong cryings and tears unto him that could save him. And the Bible says he was heard. He went to the cross, but he was saved from death. He was brought out of the grave. But the Scripture says with strong cryings and tears, when he went in that garden of Gethsemane, he started praying. He was praying so intensely that the capillaries in his face burst. His face began to bleed because of the intense pressure of the battle that he was in. He starts bleeding. And the angels look at him. And they see that he's bleeding in the wrong place at the wrong time. So the Bible says, the angels strengthened him so that he wouldn't die at the wrong time, at the wrong place. He had to go to Calvary. He had to be crucified on the cross. He had to die there on the cross for you and I. Had he died in the Garden of Gethsemane, he would have been at the wrong place at the wrong time. He said, as he prayed, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Not the will of this flesh, but the will of God be done. He prayed more earnestly. He yielded his will to the will of God to go to the cross. He fought his way to Calvary. The devil tried to kill him on the boat. The devil tried to kill him in the Garden of Gethsemane. But if it hadn't been for the angels of God strengthening him, he would have died before the cross and at the wrong time. He's got to go all the way to the cross so the angels strengthen him. That's the greatest battle that's ever been fought. Man has never seen a battle fought like that ever. And it was fought in the soul of Jesus Christ fighting his way to get to Calvary for you and me. So that that veil that kept you out of God's presence, that gave you no access to the King of kings and Lord of lords, so that thick veil could be rent into, giving you access by the blood of Jesus in the most, into the most holy place of all. The priest... Tradition says the priest walked in. They saw the veil had been rent. They gathered it up and tried to sew it back together. But every cord and every thread they tried to repair would not hold because God was the one who tore it. And he tore it forever. And he tore it for good. Giving you access into the presence of God. And the Bible says that many of the priests believed. 
one clear sign from God to them as God was ripping the flesh of His Son on Calvary. He was ripping the veil of the temple. And they knew it. I'm sure there had to be a priest in that holy place when that veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. He looked at that with amazement. He tried to put it back together. Unrepairable. And the Scripture says, many of the priests believed on the Lord. I believe it was because they saw that veil rent into from the top to the bottom. Many of the priests believed in the Lord. And that old way of doing things, that old dispensational way of doing things, or all these tots and shadows and physicality and all of that that was going on there, that old was fulfilled now. Bringing you into a new way, a new age called the church. So that now, because of what He did for you on the cross dying, Oh, it's, it, now listen to me. Now that you're a believer because of the veil that was rent, the flesh that was rent, we bask in the glory of His incarnation. We celebrate the understanding that He was God come in veil form. We preach and teach it. We get excited about it. It's powerful to us because you're a believer. But it took a rent veil, a, de- a, a crucified Jesus, to get you into the presence of God. Isn't He awesome? Isn't He awesome? Now, typically it points number one to Jesus Christ and in this sense it speaks of the veil of your flesh. You have to push through the veil of your flesh to get into His presence. Your flesh is always going to get in the way. My flesh is going to get in the way. And I want to tell you something. To be honest with you, church, you're going to have to fight to do the will of God in your life. You think it's going to be easy for you to do the will of God in this life? That's where you're wrong. There's going to be a fight going on on the inside of your soul. You'll have to get to a place in your life you say, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine will, thy will be done. You'll have a garden of Gethsemane as well. And then the Bible says, Paul says, we die daily. See, there's one sacrifice yet to be made. And that's not for salvation or for the removal of your sin. That sacrifice, that one sacrifice that is yet to be made is you and I sacrificing to do His will and serve Him. Paul said, I'm crucified to the world and the world is crucified unto me. When the world looks at me, Paul says, when the world looks at me, I'm crucified to them. When the world looks at you, 
They wrinkle their nose, lift their brow, and cannot figure you out why you would live like you are and not want to live like they are. When they look at you and they say, oh, those people, they're dead. They can't do anything. Paul said, I'm crucified to the world. When the world looks at me, they look at me as a dead man. Crucified to the world. And he said, the world is crucified to me. He said, they're dead to me. That's where the battle is for you and I. Young people, that's where the battle is for you. It's trying to fit in with the world because you don't want the world to look at you and say, you're dead to us. I want to be a part of you. No, the world says, you're dead to us. You have to say, but, but the question is, are you dead to them? How about me? Not just the young people, but how about me? How about you? I'm talking to all of us tonight. It is a struggle. It's a battle. You know it is. Don't look at me like that. For you to fulfill the will and purpose of God in your life, you know the warfare that goes on in the inside of you, your flesh, offering you an easier way. I'm crucified with Christ. Yet I live. Not I, but Christ liveth in me. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And this world looks at you and they mock you and make fun of you and count you as dead. It's all right. Jesus is living in me. And as long as he's getting the glory, hallelujah. I don't speak self-righteously tonight. I speak from the scripture. That's what's real. That's what's real. That veil upheld by four pillars. The door was held up by five and the door had crowns. The sockets of sockets of brass on the door but sockets of silver for the for the veil. One socket go ahead. One socket in the veil. Remember the tabernacle itself, those big old boards, had two sockets under each. We talked about it last Wednesday. Two sockets per board. When you get to the veil, there's not two sockets per board. There's only one socket per board, and there's four of them. We told you last week there was a total of a hundred, a hundred boards and a hundred sockets of silver. Go ahead and go forward to this... Uh, Please, there we go. You see it? These are also shot of wood overlaid with gold. The humanity and deity of Jesus Christ is once again seen. Something interesting about these, you'll notice there are no crowns. On these, no crowns. Let's go to Psalm 102. Psalm 
Oh, I love him tonight. Scripture tells us four pillars. Doesn't tell us how far apart they were. Obviously, they had to be wide enough apart to get the ark through. Why are they not crowned here? Psalm 102, verse 23. Prophecy about the Lord Jesus says, Psalm 102, 23, He weakened my strength in the way. He shortened my days. He was cut off. He was cut off in the midst of years. He weakened my strength in the way. He shortened my days. I said, oh my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. Thy years are throughout all generations. His days were shortened. Look at Isaiah 53 and verse 8. Thank you, Jesus. Suffering Messiah. Fifty-three and eight. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Who's going to declare his generation? He never married. He never sired children. He was cut off in the midst of his days. His life was shortened. Who shall declare his generation? He was cut off from the land of the living. He didn't have natural children, but I'm looking at his generation tonight. Who shall declare his generation? Right here. You are the spiritual seed of the Lord Jesus Christ because he was cut off. That's why there are no crowns on those four pillars. They were crowned that gate, but not here. Thankful tonight for what he did for me. Are you thankful? Isn't he an awesome God? Brother, take us through the pictures. You shall put the partition under the hooks. 
You shall bring there inside the partition, the ark of testimony, and the partition shall separate for you between the holy of holies. You see these thatchets out here on that covering. Those ten curtains, remember? Five on each side, connected by these gold clasps, hung right over the veil. They said when you walked into that tabernacle and you looked, at, looked up, and all those beautiful colors just right above that veil, those gold clasps look like stars in the heavens. Jesus was the bell that was rent for you and me. Go ahead, brother. Next. And there, the Ark of the Covenant placed in behind the heavy veil. Praise the Lord. I'm going to say this. You know how I am. I, I believe in being intimate with my God. Get your head on in the holy place. When they brought that Ark of the Covenant in, they slid those stays to the front of that veil. And when they did, it gave the appearance of the breast of a woman. Showing you the intimacy that you can have with your God. When you go into the Holy of Holies, that's the most intimate place that you can experience with God. It's when God is joined together in union with the bride. It's spiritual and it's holy. Song of Solomon said of that place, he said, Solomon took her into that place, that wedding chamber. And she said, Our bed is green. In the book of Revelation, the Bible says there's a rainbow round about the throne. Green. The Shulamite said, our bed is green. In that secret chamber, in that holy chamber, when you get there with God, you're intimate with Him in the most intimate way that could ever be seen. Someday when He returns back from heaven, and He raptures the church out, His bride will be in union with Him forever and ever and ever we will be able to see Him physically having been united with our, our lover, Jesus Christ. Say praise the Lord, church. Isn't God good tonight? Isn't He good? But you, you, have, to be, you have to want to be intimate. See? See? You go in that outer, you start in that outside of that outer enclosure as a sinner. You walk through that gate. 20 cubits wide, 5 cubits high. You bring your sacrifice to the Lord. 
sins, atone for it, that place. You go to the laver where your sins are cleansed, and you go into the holy place, and you get the Holy Ghost, but there's another dimension beyond the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is in the holy place. The dimension beyond the Holy Ghost is the fullness of God in that intimate place. It's called the secret place of the Most High God. The secret place of the Most High God is the God who dwells in the Holy of Holies. That's the intimate place that you and I can get with the Lord. But you know, they were so concerned, I say they, the Hebrewists, were so concerned about the intimacy of the Song of Solomon, they would not let you read it until you were 30 years of age. Because they just didn't believe that people were mature enough to read about those kind of intimate things in God's Word. But that's the place where the bride and the bridegroom are in union together. I thank God for everything that He's done. You come in here tonight and you shout unto the Lord as priest. Now, I'm not asking you to do that right now. Shout! You come in here in that holy place as priest, having repented, been to the altar, been to the labor of cleansing, baptized in Jesus' name. You come in here praying, worshiping God. If you already got the Holy Ghost, now what you're doing? You're praying. You're worshiping. You're partaking of the bread. Amen. You're shouting the praises of Zion, glory of God. When you shout, it doesn't affect me. It affects you. It gives God glory, but it doesn't affect me. When I shout praises and glory unto God, it doesn't affect you. It affects me. It gives glory to God. But there's coming a day when He returns and going to set up that kingdom age of a thousand years. There's going to be one that's going to shout and when He shouts, it's going to affect everybody in the church. There's one shout left to take place. And when that shout does, everybody that's in the bride of Christ is going to be glorified. So you keep coming in here and you keep shouting unto God. You keep worshiping. I know, see, some of you, you're so used to being in church. You've been in church so long, it's ho-hum to you. But it never gets old for me. I thank God. See, I... I have to shout and I have to preach and I have to pray and have to do all those things because I don't feel anything when I first come. But as long as I keep pushing and I keep praying and I keep preaching and I keep shouting, I'm progressively moving from that outer court of my body to the holy place of my emotions, into the holy of holies, the Spirit of God, 
manifest in his presence in and through us. But we got to keep moving. We got to keep moving. You got to get beyond your flesh. You got to get beyond your emotions. You got to get in the spirit. You got to get in the Holy of Holies. I'm looking forward to the day when he descends from heaven with a shout with the trump of God. When we'll all be changed. I told you that that high priest was the only one that go behind that veil in the Holy of Holies in the Old Covenant. Now it's removed. So you can go boldly in the presence of God yourself now. But there was one other man beside the high priest they got to go in behind that veil. And that was Moses. Moses was the one who set the whole tabernacle up, put the ark in place. From the time they began to construct it until it was set up was 280 days. Amen? Amen? The time of gestation for a baby in the womb. Jesus was the true tabernacle. And in the womb of Mary, His body was fashioned. The exact amount of time it took them to, to build that tabernacle. Every type, every shadow, every picture is fulfilled in Jesus Christ in the church. And we're looking forward to when He comes back and sets up the kingdom. Thousand year reign of Christ, ten by ten by ten. Isn't God good? Well, let me finish reading. In Exodus 26, you're going to hang that veil, and that veil's got cherubim on it, the majesty and power of God. Amen. Blue, purple, scarlet, fine twine linen of cunning work with cherubim shall it be made. This has got cherubim on it. The majesty and power of God. You realize that the seraphim guard the holiness of God in heaven and the cherubim guard the holiness of God on earth. And so we see here the cherubim inwrought in the veil. Thou shalt hang it upon four pillars, four pillars of Shittim woods. Four pillars, four gospels. Also, four women in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Overlaid with gold, their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. Redemption having been made for us. Notice the difference. Four sockets of silver here versus five sockets of brass for the door of the tabernacle. Thou shalt hang up the veil under the tatchets, and I showed that to you. That thou mayest bring in thither within the veil the ark of the testimony. And the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. 
because that veil has been rent now, according to the book of Hebrews, you have access in the presence of God. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you, Father, for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. Lord, I pray for each and every individual tonight in this church. Lord, we have made our way when we were first sinners and made our way from the the desert and wilderness through the gate, the altar of sacrifice, to the laver of cleansing, through the door, Christ Jesus, once again, as priests now, into the holy place, having been filled with the Holy Ghost, we now minister in that holy place tonight. And now, Lord, You've taken us, Lord, beyond the veil into the most holy place, the place of intimacy, the secret place of the Most High God. We thank You, Lord, tonight for allowing us to experience You in such an intimate way by Your blood. Father, in the Spirit, I discern that we're there right now. And that You love Your people, You love Your bride, You love Your wife. And as she stands in that secret place, let her express her love to You now in an intimate way. Father, right now, we love You. We praise You. We thank You. We look forward, Lord, to Your return. When You will set up Your kingdom and we will rule and reign with You throughout eternity. Lord, we know that the time is short. We see the signs of the times. Let us persevere. Let us endure to the end. Let us overcome that we may partake of that most holy place, your throne room. In Jesus' name, amen. Moses, wrote a song, the Song of Moses. He wrote that song on earth by inspiration of God. That song written by Moses on earth is recorded in the book of Revelation. A song written on earth will be sung in heaven. 
Father, I thank You that we're a part of the brides and that we will sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Lord, I don't know when You are coming back. If You come back tonight or a future day, let us be ready to hear the shout. and to enter into the most holy place of heaven. Lord, we are preparing now as we sing as priests in the service, as we worship, we're preparing now for that day when we will see You face to face. Thank You, Lord, that no man, no priest could repair the veil. That natural veil is rent. But tonight Your body has not only been repaired, but been resurrected. We look forward to seeing You soon. Until then, Lord, give us the strength and the endurance to finish the work you've called us to do. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Before I let you go, would you lift your hands and just express your love for the Lord tonight? Holy, holy, holy. The manna speaks of His incarnation. That rock that followed them through the wilderness that was smitten speaks of His crucifixion. Now your head in the clefts of the rock, the nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ. Lord, I don't always feel saved, but I know I am. By Your blood, by Your words. Thank You for saving me by Your blood, saving me by Your power, and covering me in Your righteousness. you to get this in your mind and your heart tonight that you are a priest unto God if you have gone through that progression. You are very blessed. Something only the tribe of Levi had in the Old Testament. You have as an individual believer tonight you are king priest unto the Lord. What a blessing 
can offer spiritual sacrifices of prayer and praise. And tonight you are standing in His presence. The Lord is in this place. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Thank God. Thank God. The living presence of the living Lord Jesus. Moses looked at that tabernacle, all those pieces in that tabernacle, he was looking at Jesus Christ. Typically. Until the New Testament on the Mount of Transfiguration, there he appeared. And Moses saw that tabernacle face to face. Looked at him standing on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw him in that veil. He saw him literally on the Mount of Transfiguration. Someday, you and I are going to be able to see him that way. Face to face. Just like you're looking at each other. Face to face. You're going to be able to see him. I can't wait for that day. I'm looking forward to that day. In Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, we are now going to leave this house as a corporate body. As each individual goes home, I pray that you would fill them with peace, fill them with faith, that no matter what they're going through, Lord, they can hold on to your presence in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.